0: You guys appreciate the band and the Lord and all that good stuff? Thanks, guys. It's good. All right. You guys got a Bible, uh, get it out. And if you don't, uh, we put, as always, the scripture on the back of this bulletin. Hopefully, you got one on the way in. Um, But we do encourage you guys to always bring your Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, see us. And I mean that. I say that all the time, but I mean that. If you don't want a Bible, see us. We'll hook you up with one. But uh, it's very important that you guys bring your Bibles and know where to find this stuff in your own Bible. Because our goal um, and my goal is that we wouldn't just be preaching at you, but we'd be equipping you guys to actually share this truth with other people, with your friends. um, Because that is exactly what the Lord would have have you guys do. Right on? Sweet. Uh, let's, let me pray. Let me pray for us before we get started, and uh, tonight we actually, after 11 weeks, bring this series in for a landing, and uh, we are we are going to close the book of James, uh, turn the page on it, and just, you know, we should. Hopefully nothing crazy happens. If something crazy happens, then we might not. Um, like, you know, somebody spontaneously combusts is about the only thing that's going to keep us from finishing it tonight, but that would be a reason to quit. Um so let me pray for us real quick, and I got a little, uh, I got a little something something in my mic, so I'm going to... Is that better? Is that better? A little bit? Yeah, because that would bug me the whole time, and I'd probably um, punch this guy. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we need you. We need you desperately, and so I pray that right now you speak to us through your word. Lord, your word has endured for centuries. And it is just as true today, it is just as true today as when it was written, as when you inspired James to write these words, Lord. Lord, your word says that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you don't change like shifting shadows, ever. Your word doesn't somehow evolve and you don't grade on a curve. This is absolutely true. It is our standard in life. You have spoken indeed, And it is truth. And so I pray that you mold us and that you equip us and that you change us and that you convict us of sin and that you would mess with us. Lord, mess with us by speaking to us through your word. Mess with us because you love us. You love us deeply more than we can possibly comprehend. And so because you love us, you mess with us and you disturb us. Lord, And you convict us and you draw us to repent of sin and come running back to you. Lord, I pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Cool. Well, here's the deal. Um, this past Monday, um, I went to, I went with my family, I took the day off and went with my family to Whitewater. Uh, you guys been to Whitewater this summer? Uh, I had not been to Whitewater in like seven or eight years. It'd been like forever. And so I was really, really stoked about going to Whitewater. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was fun because, you know, we have a three-year-old, we have Annabelle, and so I was like, man, this is going to be a whole new adventure taking Annabelle to, to Whitewater and stuff. So we, so we show up there, and you guys know, I mean, if you've been to Whitewater, uh, or maybe you don't, but, you know, they have the, uh, they have the kiddie area, like the little kid ...thing with the big giant mushrooms that spout off the water, which my daughter loves. She won't, like, go under them, but she, like, loves it. She thinks it's awesome. And she wants me to go under them because I look like a fool doing it. Um, and, and so my daughter, like, we go to the kitty area, and my daughter, it was so funny. They had this, like, little water slide and she wanted to go down it over and over and over again, and every time she'd go down, she'd be like, she, she'd go down, and she'd laugh, and she'd be like, Daddy, look, and then she'd do it again and come down, Daddy, look, and then she'd go, Daddy, look, and I'm like, okay, she obviously wants me to watch her do this, and she loved um, she loved doing that, and then here's the thing that I noticed as we spent the, the entire day at Whitewater, and I don't know, those of you that have been at Whitewater, maybe you've noticed this, but I'm absolutely convinced that basically um, being a lifeguard at Whitewater is about the most pointless job in America, Um, and and I I noticed this by watching them. How many of y'all, you've seen the, like, lifeguards at Whitewater? Like, seriously, I'm watching them going, this job is so pointless. Now, I'm not, no, you understand, I'm not talking about the lifeguards at the dangerous rides. Like, there's, like, that one slide that goes, like, straight down, 12 stories, right? Like, I understand, like, you need a lifeguard there, I get it, because just the basic law of averages says somebody's going to die. Right? About 1 in a 1,000 people are going to die on that. So you need a lifeguard to like, clean up the blood and pick up the mess and all that stuff. So, so I get that. I'm not saying that guy or that girl is pointless. What I'm saying is this, and I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it seemed like the the, rides that, the slides that were really, really lame and like the, the slides that were for little kids... That's where they put all the lifeguards with the crazy power trip, you know? So, like, the, the ones that have this really unhealthy power trip and the power's gone to their head, they put at these rides that are really lame and, and, like, not unsafe at all. So, like, I go, and it was fun because, like, at one point, uh, Heather was like, you know what, I'll, I'll keep Annabelle, and you go up on the slide. And so I'm like, okay. So I go up on this slide, and this one slide, like, it's not dangerous. Like, like it's just not. I mean, it's a bigger slide. It's a longer slide. But basically, it's a really long slide that you go for, like, five minutes, at one mile per hour, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not that big of a deal, and so I go up there, and I get to the top, and when I get up there, there's this lifeguard guy, you know, like total, you know, dressed to impress, you know, kind of sucking in his gut, you know, wanting the ladies to look at him, total Jonas brother, (laughs) metro, anyway, um, just standing there, and he's like, he's barking out orders like a drill sergeant. I mean, it was unbelievable. He's like, he's just, he's got this whistle, and he's just barking out orders at all these people that are going on rides. so he's like, like saying things like, hey, hey, stay behind the red line. You stay behind that red line. Stay back. And the red line's like 10 feet behind like where the water, stay behind the red line. Hey, and when you go down the slide, listen up, this is the rules, everybody. When you go down the slide, you must cross your arms like this. You must cross your feet. That's the rule. And you better not go, go on your stomach. You better be on your back. And so this guy was total, totally power tripping. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, dude, you're not launching nuclear weapons here, bro. You work at Whitewater at a slide, right? I mean, this is not, come on, cut us some slack. And so what would happen is he got nobody's respect and everybody was intentionally disobeying him. Right, so it was like it was like our own Boston Tea Party, man. We we're rebelling, we were fighting the power, right, going against the man. And so he's like, "You better cross your arms." And the kid would go down and say, like, "Woo!" And he's like, yelling, I'm, "Stop it! Stop it!" And was like, "What are you gonna do, man?" And he's like, "You better cross your legs." And the kid would go with their feet in the air, laughing, man. And it was just all. Aw- and then people were like spinning around backward and like everybody that went down, like nobody would listen to him. And then everybody in line was like, "Woo!" <laughs> This guy, like, totally hated it. It was awesome. Um, and now here I am. I'm a pastor, and I'm sitting here looking at it going, This is fun. You know, and even when I went down, I was like, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was. It's crazy, but it's like totally power tripping. I'm going, man, your job is useless. And then there was the dude. I took Annabelle to the. Uh, they have a. They have a lazy river for kids, for toddlers. So it's like it's basically like this little. It's not even the lazy river. It's like this little um, kind of long pool that they walk in and they just splash in, and they've got a lifeguard in there, and he's screaming at three-year-old kids not to jump. The water's like two inches like deep, maybe. And he'll scream, hey, hey, don't jump. Don't jump. And I'm like, dude, did you have a dark childhood or something? Like, were your parents country music fans? What? Why you, you're you messed up, dude. You're messed up. I'm just telling you, right? And so I'm like, he's power tripping, dude. And, and then there was, uh, and then here's what was funny. Here's what just drove me nuts. It just, You go to Whitewater and you go on the Lazy River. You know the Lazy River, like for adults and stuff. And you go on that thing, which is, is great. It's awesome. I loved it. So you're in the little float. And the current just takes you, right? So the current is taking you exactly where you need to go. Like you don't have to do any effort at all. It's going to take you. Well, all along this lazy river, they probably had easily, easily 35, maybe 40 different lifeguards all around the lazy river standing there. And here's all they do. Every single one of them have this very stern look on their face, like they're really, really angry. And all they do is this. They're standing there and they're holding their little red I don't know what it is. It looks like a big old red banana. And, 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 and they're just, they, they have this stern look on their face and they go... And I'm sitting here watching him going, are are you telling me where to go? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's current here that actually takes me. Like what am I gonna fight against it? Am I gonna like go against the current or something? And then and then my wife Heather told me, she said, No, they're not they're not showing you where to go. They're they're counting. Who counts like that? Right? Like if I'm gonna count you right now, I'd go. Right? It's like what kind of freaks work at Whitewater? And so he just bugged me the whole time, and I'm going, I'm sorry, not all of them, right? Um, so if you're listening to this and you work at Whitewater, um, get a new job. Anyway, um, so so I'm sitting. So so here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, that that I that I understand about the 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 uh, lifeguards at Whitewater is that even though some of them are lame and, and I don't know quite what their job is, I know that they all have. Their number one job description is the same for everybody, and it's this, at least hopefully it's this. Hopefully their number one job description is this, that if something goes horribly wrong, you need to save that person that's in trouble, right? So hopefully that's their number one job description. Hopefully the number one job description of everybody, whether they're on that lame slide or in that little, you know, that that lazy river for kids or wherever they are, hopefully their number one job description from like the lazy river for kids all the way up to that killer tornado ride at Whitewater is that if something goes horribly wrong and if somebody's drowning, you need to do whatever you have to do to save the drowning person, right? Like hopefully that's their number one job description. And here's the thing, here's the point, and here's kind of the link to the book of James and the end of the book of James is that you see all throughout the book of James, that James is kind of like a lifeguard in this sense, that James is looking at these people, he's writing to these people, many of whom are drowning in sin, and drowning in rebellion and disobedience, and he's trying to save them, and he's trying to help them, and he's writing to these people, and James is basically like this big giant sermon that he's preaching to these people, hopefully to save them from drowning in sin and rebellion. And so here's the thing, here's the thing you guys need to see, that, um, that as James, is writing to these people he's doing what every pastor is called to do Every pastor serves as kind of a lifeguard and the role of a pastor is to serve the people of God in this way that as we as as we serve you and as we preach to you and as we pour into you and as we equip you for the work of ministry that when we see you drowning in sin and when we see you drowning in rebellion we do whatever we have to do to preach truth to you so that you might see the error of your way you might repent of your sin and come running back to Jesus right like that's the role that's the point and and that's what James has been doing all throughout the book of James. And he's about to end the book of James by giving us three commandments. Okay, He's going to end it with three commandments. And really there's been a lot of commandments and a lot of, a lot of truth in the book of James. But he's going to end it with three specific commandments that every single Christian. Get this. Every single Christian should obey these commandments. You've got to understand something. We don't obey these three commandments so that we can be accepted by God. We obey these three commandments because, as Christians, we're already accepted by God. Do you see the difference? So we don't obey them to get God's favor. We obey them because we've already gotten God's favor because of Jesus, because we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. So that's the difference. So I don't want you to get messed up at the beginning. But but he begins to give these people three commandments to end the book of James. And I want you to see this. James chapter 5, starting in verse 12. We're going to end this thing bring it to an end. Here's here's what James says in the closing of his letter as he writes to these, these people. Verse 12. Above all my brothers. In other words, this is very, very, very important. Above all my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, let your yes be yes and your no no or You will be condemned. Now, now understand something. Um, In this verse, when James, and this is the first commandment that that he's given us, and I'll tell you what the commandment is in a second, but first what you need to know is this. When James says, do not swear, he's not saying, do not cuss. Now, he's already talked about that talked about that a few weeks ago, and the Bible does deal with that issue, but in this sense, when James says, do not swear, he's not talking about like a swear word, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something completely different, and it's something to do with what they were struggling with in their culture, and here's what it was. Um, These people here, these Jews, had come up with a very, very complex system of... uh, in order to to kind of lie to each other. Lies were out of control. Nobody kept a promise. Everybody was frauding everybody else. And so here's what would happen. Because everybody was lying to each other, here's, here's what trips me out. You know what, dude? I'm going to grab this other mic. Check, check, right on. I'm going to grab this other mic because um, I feel like demons are talking to me through this one. Um, Don't get worried or anything. Like, um, <laughs> like. Okay, good. What are they telling you? here's the thing um these people were lying to each other constantly and so and so here's what happened um here here's what they would do here's how twisted and messed up like human nature is they came up with a very complex system as to uh as to how to uh, how to get past like commitments and promises and stuff so here's what would happen they began um they began to swear to each other okay so they would take these oaths and so here's what would happen here's what would happen they wouldn't just say yes I'll do that or yes I'll go there or yes I'll give you this they would like in order to to get past all that They would like Make these uh, these promises So they would like They'd be like Hey I'll do that And the person's like No how do I know You'll do that And they're like I swear I swear by heaven I swear on heaven Or the guy's like Hey I'll do that Well how do we know You'll do that Well I swear by earth and then here's what would happen. They wouldn't keep those vows, and when somebody came to them and said, hey, you lied to me. You didn't do what you said you would do. The guy would go, well, really? I didn't lie to you because I didn't swear to God. I just swear by heaven. <laughs> right? And it was like that really annoying thing that would happen when you were a kid, when you were with your friend, and your friend was like, hey, I'll trade you your candy bar for my baseball card. And you were like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. And you go to make the trade, and he he grabs your candy bar and he keeps the baseball card. And you're like, dude, you didn't give me your baseball card. And was like, my fingers were crossed. And you're thinking to yourself, I will." break your fingers off and throw them in a wood chipper right like i want to mess you up dude give me the it, it was that kind it was that kind of a twisted game it was that ridiculous it was that childish it was that annoying okay so i want you to see this what he means when he says don't swear stop swearing to each other Basically, what he's saying to these people is your lying is out of control. You're frauding one another is out of control. And you've got to understand, James is just repeating something that Jesus dealt with years before. And here's what Jesus said in, in Matthew. You guys don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. You can write it down. Look it up later. Here's what Jesus said. And it sounds a lot like what James just said. He said, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Which sounds exactly like what James just said. Now, here's what he's saying get this here's what he's saying let's try this home what he's saying is this stop playing your evil games and here's the commandment that we're given in this scripture do not be a liar if you're a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus if you know Christ don't be a liar stop lying and and here's, here's the thing students Being truthful and being honest is so foundational. It's so like bottom floor Christianity, Christianity 101. Like it's so basic that James even says in this verse, he says, above all my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes or your no, no, or you will be condemned. Now check this out. Here's what he means by you will be condemned. Here's what this means. This means this, that if you are a pathological Unremorseful liar, and some of you are. I mean, some of you lie all the time, and you feel no remorse, and you feel no guilt, and it's pathological, and you lie just over stupid stuff. I mean, you lie over dumb stuff. Your parents are like, "Hey, I heard that you. I heard you come in at like ten nineteen last night. No, it was ten seventeen. Well, you're a freak. Why are you lying about that?" So you lie. I, if you're a pathological unremorseful liar. Here's what, here's what he's saying. That's pretty good evidence that you don't even really know Jesus and, and you should be terrified and you need to repent and come to Jesus and, and bow to him as your Savior and surrender your life to him as Savior. Because if you can lie all the time without feeling any remorse at all and you are living the life of a liar consistently, it's pretty good evidence you've never even met Jesus. Because there's no change. And, and that is so basic and that's so foundational that James says, Hey, if that's who you are, you're condemned. Like, do you even know Christ? And so the first commandment is this if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be a liar. Don't be a liar. Right? And then he goes on. Then he goes on. Look look at what he says in verse 13. Look at this. Um, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, no, stop right there. There's an obvious commandment that's being given in these three verses, and it's this. Um, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't ignore prayer. Okay? So the first commandment he's given us is, is this. Don't be a liar. Do not be a liar. And the second commandment he's given us is this. If you know Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, man, if your life has been changed by the gospel, the fact that God loved you and sent his son for you to live, to die, to rise from the grave, you put your faith in Christ alone. If that's who you are, here's the thing. Don't ignore Prayer. Now, here's what I love about that. Here's what's so cool about this scripture. James is calling out three groups of people, and he's specifically speaking to three groups of people, and he's telling them that whatever they do, no matter what happens, they desperately need to remember that prayer is a vital, crucial part of their life. So let's, let's look at this. Look, look, look at who he's talking to. Group number one is this. Group number one is people that are suffering. Look at verse 13. He says, is any one of you in what? What's it say? Trouble. Right? Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Now, here's the thing: that shouldn't surprise any of us. And we go, okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. I don't know if you've experienced this. I experience this all the time. Um, basically, every time I'm in some kind of like prayer gathering or prayer meeting or Bible study where they do prayer request, pretty much every prayer request that's given is a prayer request that's given because somebody somewhere is suffering, because somebody somewhere is in trouble. Does that make sense? So, so here's what this looks like. Um, when I'm in a Bible study or when I'm in some prayer meeting deal and people are sharing prayer requests, somebody says, hey, who's got prayer requests? Basically, they're all kind of um, on the negative end. They're all kind of someone suffering. So people will say things like this. They'll be like, you know, well, pray for me. My, my uncle has cancer. Pray for my uncle. He's got cancer. Or, or pray for me. I'm failing chemistry too, Right? Or pray for me, my friends hate me because I'm a Christian, right? Or, or, or pray for me because my dad lost his job, right? Or pray for me because my, you know, my cousin shot off his you know, torso, I don't know. Pray, pray for me because somebody is suffering, someone somewhere is suffering, it's bad, so pray for me. So it should not surprise us, listen, it should not surprise us at all that James says, are you in trouble? Pray, are you, are you in trouble? you suffering? You need to pray. Here's where it gets a little bit different. Here's where it gets a little bit different. The second part of that verse. Um, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. No, here's what James just straight up said. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray because praise is really the highest form of prayer. Praise is, is thanking God. It's, it's it's glorifying God for the fact that we're happy. But here's the thing, we don't we don't do come on, we don't we don't do this. Here, here's how this works. Most of the time when our life is bad, when our life is bad, even people that that aren't necessarily Christians will have a tendency to like cry out to some god to help them. Right, so when life goes bad, the tendency, the likelihood for us to cry out to at least a God increases. A lot of people do that. But when life is good, like even for those of us who would say, "I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I'm on the glory train to heaven," right? Even for those of us who would say that, here's what happens: when life is good, we're just good. When life's okay, I mean, we're just we're just okay. Here's how this plays itself out. Um, I experienced the same thing with my three-year-old daughter. My three-year-old daughter will oftentimes run up to me and say things like this. Daddy, he took my toy. Daddy, my leg hurts. Daddy, I'm cold. Right? Daddy, a bee stung me, right? I, I can honestly say with confidence I've never had an experience where my daughter, out of the blue, has run up to me and said, Daddy, I'm happy. Like, never. Just wanted to, know I'm happy. That has never happened, ever, ever. And that's listen. That's exactly how we treat God. That's exactly how we treat God. Life is bad. God help me. God help me. God help me. Help. Help me. Help. Kill him. Right. Help this. Fix that. Right. Um. Things are bad. Cry out. Things are good. We're, we're, we're good. Now, here's what James is saying. Listen, students, this is huge. James' point is this, that even when things in life are good, you need to always remember where those good gifts came from. You didn't make them. You didn't create them. You just happened upon them. They came from your Father in heaven. And so when things are good, all praise should be directed to God. So when things are bad and you're in trouble, pray. When things are good, when everything's all right, Praise. And then he identifies a third group of people. Verse 14. Is any one of you sick? And I want you to underline that word sick. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, group number three is sick people. Now listen to me, students. um, Because I need to to make something very, very clear here. Because there's a lot of confusion about this scripture. A lot. A lot. Um, So let me tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? This scripture does not mean, it doesn't mean that every single person who is sick and has a disease and does this, calls the elders over to anoint them with oil and pray for them, that every single one of those people will be miraculously healed. It does not mean that, that God will somehow, from every single one of those people, take that disease away. It doesn't mean that. And here's what else it doesn't mean. It also doesn't mean that for people that are sick or dying of diseases and they call the elders of the church to them to anoint them with oil and to pray for them. It doesn't mean that if that person doing that, if they still die, that they somehow just didn't have enough faith, right? That somehow it's like, well, you just didn't mean it when you prayed. You didn't have enough faith, so, right? That's, it doesn't mean that either. And listen, people that teach that, and there's a lot. People that teach that are butchering the Bible. They're butchering the Bible. And here's why. So let me explain this to you. Um, let me tell you. Let me tell you what this scripture is actually saying, okay? Here's what you have to remember about the book of James, just like when you read any part of the Bible, you have to read it in context, which means you have to look at who's this written to, what's going on, what is the theme of this letter, what were these people experiencing, and here's what this means. you got to remember, and we talked about this in week one when we first started this series, you got to remember that James is writing to a bunch of persecuted Christians. And you can actually read about this persecution that was happening. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. And what you're going to read is you're going to find that one of the things that was happening is that these people were actually being, a lot of them, drug out of their house, thrown in prison, beaten. And so what you have to remember about these, these persecuted Christians is that they, as a result of the persecution that they're undergoing, many of them are weak. I mean, they're weak in their faith. They are discouraged. Okay, And so here's why it's important to know all that. Okay, When you go back to this scripture, when you look at what James is saying, when he says, let me read it again. Is any one of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. That Greek word, listen, that Greek word that is used for sick, okay, is actually a Greek word, and I'm going to try to say this right, astheneo. okay. And if you want the spelling, if you're like, I want the spelling of that because I'm a Greek nerd. Find me after it's over. I'll give it to you. Astheneo. Here's what's incredible about that word. Um, It doesn't just mean physically sick. It also carries a meaning of being spiritually weak. Now, here's why that's significant. Most of the time when that word is actually used in the New Testament... It's, it's meaning being spiritually weak. So the majority of the times it's actually used means when you're spiritually weak. In other words, when you, when you feel like you want to give up, when you're absolutely desperate, you're ready to walk away from God, you are mad at God, you're angry, you're tired, you don't even think this Christian faith is real, and you're tempted just to give it all up. Being spiritually weak kind of at the end of your rope. Now, you know, now when, you, when you think about it that way, here's what James is saying. Here's what James is saying. If you're spiritually weak and depressed and tempted to give up on God because of the fact that you're suffering, you need to call the elders of the church to you, to pray for you, to anoint you with oil. Listen, here's why I tell you all that. Here's why I tell you all that. When I was in California, uh, when I was a high school pastor in California, I had um, at one point a, a man and his wife showed up. They made an appointment. They came in. Um, my ministry assistant, Tammy, brought them into my office, and I'd never seen this guy before, didn't know who they were, and they sat down on my couch um, there in my office. He was probably around, I don't know, 45, and his wife also, and they sat there, and I said, hey, you know, what can I do for you? His name was Dennis, and I said, Dennis, wh- wh- what can I do for you? And he said, Anson, he said um, listen, he said, you obviously don't know us. He said, our son, Corey, is involved in your ministry. He said, we don't go to this church. We don't go to this church. My wife and I go to another church. Corey's been coming to the high school ministry here. Um, he said, but, but we, we really, we're, we're Christians. We're believers. We love Jesus. He said, here's the thing. We really felt like God wanted us to come to talk with you about what's going on. And I said, well, well man, what, what's happening? What's going on? And here's what he said to me. Here's what this man, Dennis, said to me, 45-year-old man. He said, Anson, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor said, I have about three months to live. It's terminal. I'm, I'm dying. Unless God does a miracle, I'm going to die. He said, so, so I wanted to talk with you. I wanted to get counseling. I, I wanted to get prayer. I wanted to talk with you through this. And so over the, over the next you know, couple months, I, built, I developed a relationship with this man, Dennis, and so we would meet, and he and his wife would come in. Sometimes he would come in just by himself. And, and one time when he came in, we had this talk, and here's the thing that Dennis told me. He said, Anson, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going to go. I know who I'm going to be with, but I grieve because my kids aren't going to have me. My heart breaks because my kids won't have me anymore. And so we developed this relationship, and then at one point, we called the elders of our church in, along with a few pastors, and we anointed this man with oil, and we prayed. I'm talking, we prayed for him, and we prayed that God would heal him. We prayed that God would do a miracle, right? About about a month and a half later, I preached Dennis' funeral, okay? And some would go, well, there is no God. Then there is no God, because that's it. No, 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 because here's what I saw God do during that time. I saw this man as he faced death and his cancer literally ate him alive. I saw him have so much assurance and so much confidence and so much faith that even though cancer was eating him alive, that on the other side of death, Jesus Christ was waiting with his arms open wide, waiting to receive him home, and this man had unbelievable faith, even as he was frail and dying in the last days of his life. It was unbelievable. And here's the thing. Here's the thing you need to understand. Um, He who was weak in faith became strong in faith. Why? Here's, Here's why I believe. Because God answered verse 15. Where it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick, the spiritually weak person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he ascended, he will be forgiven. Now, Now, do I believe you should pray for sick people? Absolutely. Do I believe that you should pray that sick people be healed? Yeah, I believe the Bible teaches we should pray that sick people should be healed. But I also believe that sometimes that healing looks different than we might think. And he's not the only man who I've seen obey this scripture. And it turned out a little bit different than a lot of people would have expected. But I've seen that prayer answered. I, I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, I don't know how else to explain it. Let's move on. Verse 17. Oh, um, actually, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, translation, uh, going back to the second talk, the second sermon that we did in this series, you need walls of accountability. You need people around you that love you enough to pray for you and that you can be honest enough with to go, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, this sin's got a hold of me and I need you to pray for me. You desperately need people in your life like that and the Bible is clear on that. That you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, need people in your life that you can confess your sins to and can have pray for you and can trust enough and know that they're not going to blog about it the next day. You need to have these people in your life that you can trust with your deep, dark sins so that they can pray for you and walk with you through it. Does that make sense? Look at what else it says. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So so here's the deal. If you're some goofball getting crunk every weekend, like don't, we, we talked about that. I mean, we talked about that way back when and like the second talk of this series again. Like, like if you're just living your own life and every now and then you, you offer up a prayer to God just kind of as props. And when you get desperate, don't expect that your prayers are going to carry a lot of weight to begin with. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Translation, first of all, you have to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And second of all, you've got to actually be pursuing Him. Right? And then here's what it says. I love this. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, uh, you got to understand about Elijah. Elijah wasn't some superhero, didn't run around with a cape and tights with a big E on his chest, right? Wasn't some superhuman dude that could bend spoons with his mind, right? I mean, didn't, wouldn't dodging bullets around, right? Some matrix deal. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a normal, everyday dude. Elijah was not God with skin on. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop if you want to read that story go to first kings chapter 17 and read that story but the translation and the point of what he's saying here is this throughout history god has done incredible things through prayer so don't ignore prayer and some of you you know what uh, some of you i mean you love jesus and you and, and you you know Christ and all that good stuff, but you can't remember. You honestly can't remember the last time you really poured your heart out to the Lord in prayer. I'm talking like you. I'm not talking about like daddy at the dinner table, right? I'm talking, I'm talking you. Don't ignore prayer. And then the last thing. And here's what I love about James. I love how James ends because um, James ends the book of James as bluntly as he wrote everything else in the book of James. Like it's just blunt, and I want you to see this. He says, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Bam! Now, here's why that's significant. Um, when you read the letters of Paul, anybody heard of Paul, the Apostle Paul? Kind of an important dude, Christian history. Paul, when he wrote his letters like Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans, like all these things. Here's what's, fu- what's cool about Paul. Paul would always end it like with, a, with kind of a, uh, I don't know, like a greeting, like something really nice. So Paul would say every now and then, Paul would say things like, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Right? Paul would say things like, greet, greet the brothers. Greet the brothers that are there. Greet them. Tell them I say hey. No lie. Read it. I mean, there's, there's one point like at Corinthians. At Corinthians, man, he's like punching these people in the kidneys over and over again in the name of Jesus. But he ends it by going, he ends it by going, I love all of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Like that's how he ends it. Like, I love you. I love you. Like he ends it like that. James doesn't. I mean, we don't even get a Seacrest out, right? We don't even get a Jesus brother out, right? I mean, we don't, we don't get anything like that. James just straight up ends it. And here's how he ends it. He ends it by basically saying this. Oh, uh, hey, and by the way, you should speak the truth to other people so that they'll repent of sin and won't end up in hell. The end. And that's why I love this guy. I'm serious. Uh, Now, let's look at what he said. I'm not going to make this up. Let's look at what he said. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner, now that word sinner um, is very, very important because that same word is used throughout the New Testament to describe those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're what we would call lost in their sins. They don't know Jesus. They've never repented. of They've never placed their faith and trust in Christ. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way. Will save him from death. Now he's not talking physical death. We know that we die. Everybody dies. He's talking spiritual death. He's talking what the Bible describes as hell. Eternal separation from God. You will save him from Death. And cover over a multitude of sins. And here's why I love how James ends this letter. Because it seems like nobody wants to talk about hell anymore. It seems like a lot of people in churches are just like, you, Anson, Anson, stop talking about hell. Like, people won't come. Why are you so yeah. mean? Talking about hell. Let me, let me tell you why. Because Jesus never struggled with that. You know something about Jesus? Jesus. Like, Jesus. Peace and love, Jesus. Talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. Matter of fact, when you study it, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus talks about hell some like 11 times at least. Just in the book of Matthew. Okay? So understand something that that it was very, very important to Jesus to talk to people about about the wrath to come, about what would happen to them if they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is something that was very, very important to Jesus. So, so understand, it's no accident that James, the half-brother of Jesus, ends with this message. And the message is this, the third commandment, if you're taking notes, the third commandment is don't forget the lost. If you're a Christian, like if you know Jesus, do not forget The loss, translation, don't forget about the fact that there's tons of people living their lives every single day. And there's people in this room right now who have never placed faith and trust in Christ, having their sins forgiven, being washed whiter than snow. They've never done that. And as a result, if they were to die right now, they'd experience the wrath of God. They'd experience hell. They'd experience eternal separation from God forever. Forever. Students, here's the thing. We can't ever get numb to the fact that hell is a real place. It's real. It's not like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. It's not like some made up thing where it's like, ooh, hell. <laughs> it's not like the subject of a joke. Like, it's real. And you know, I've had conversations with people going, hey, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I might go to hell, but I'm going to take the place over. No, you're not. Like, you're really not. Like, if that's your choice, if that's where you go, if you continue to reject Christ and you show up there, and you go, hey, I'm going to take over, people will laugh at you. Like, it will be it will be bad. People go, I'm going to go to hell and have a party. No, you're not. Like, they go to hell in, like, ludicrous braille. Right? I mean, there's no balloons in hell. Right? There's no confetti. There's no cake. It's a horrible, horrible Horrible place. The Bible describes it as a place where, 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 the, where, where the flame lasts forever, where the worm never dies. This nasty, disgusting torment. This place of eternal separation from God. A conscious torment forever away from God. Away from God. And the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel is that if you don't know Christ, that's where you will spend eternity. We all know John 3.16, or most of us do. We don't pay attention to John 3.17 where Jesus said, man, here's the deal. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. Jesus' message was you're condemned already. You're already condemned. I don't have to do any work here. Like, that's the reason I came is to save you because you're in a bad place right now. You're headed to hell. And I came to live for you, to die on a cross, for you to rise again so that you might know me, so that you might receive forgiveness, so that you might be spared and saved from hell and saved from death. And so students, James ends this letter by challenging every single person who would claim to be a Christian to not forget the loss and to understand the weightiness of what you do when you share the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus with a friend or with a family member or with somebody you just met. Like, he's showing you the weightiness of it that you are literally, you're literally doing whatever you have to do to save them from death with the message of Jesus and to cover over, cover over a, mul- a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. And so those of you who are in here, man, you say, I don't know Christ. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone. I've never believed that he is the way, the truth, the life, the only way to have a relationship with God. I've never, I've never confessed that. As a matter of fact, I think Christians are freaks. I think they're weird. I think they have weird hair and they smell weird and they do weird things. And I don't really want to be one. You have to at least understand the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ loves you. And he gives you opportunity to respond to him in faith. But if you choose to reject him, if you choose to walk away, if you choose not to listen and not bow the knee and not surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will be what the Bible calls lost in your sins forever. And you will experience the death, the hell, that James talks about in that last verse. Let's pray. That's James. Just to recap tonight, don't be a liar. Don't ignore prayer. Don't forget the lost. And students, as we get ready to pray, there may be some of you in here tonight who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone. You've never done that. You've never repented of your sin. To repent of your sins means that you change your mind. You realize you're a sinner. You've been going your own way. You've been living a life in rebellion to God, and you're broken about that. Right? Salvation isn't just about you chalking up some prayer going, yeah, Jesus save me because I don't want to go to hell. No, it's you being broken over your sin. You being broken over the fact that you are lost and you desperately need a Savior because you understand your sin has separated you from God. Then you cry out and you ask Jesus to come into your life. You surrender to him. And those of you in here right now who would say, I don't know that I've ever made that decision. I'm going to invite you tonight. Place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. You say, Anson, how do I do that? How do I do that? I would do that. Well, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. It's about faith, placing your faith and trust in Jesus. So you can ask him right there where you are right now to come into your life. You can ask him for forgiveness from your sin, but I would challenge you students that if you do that, if you do that, you need to let an adult in here know tonight. You need to let an adult know. Me, any of these adults sitting around you in your chairs or any of these adults around the back, your small group leader, you need to let them know tonight so there's accountability tonight. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that your word is truth. I'm so grateful it's not made up. I pray for those in here who are fighting you and fighting you and fighting you and fighting you. you. Lord, there's nothing I can say to convince them. It's not about me even trying to argue with them or convincing them to do anything. Thank you that I don't have that pressure on me. Thank you that none of these small group leaders, none of the point staff, Lord, we, we don't have that pressure on us. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not God. We're not you, Lord. We're just your servants. And your message goes out. You tell us in your word that when the seed of God's word goes out, it lands in all kinds of hearts, all kinds of soils. And we'll see who responds, Lord. I pray that those who do respond tonight would go to an adult and say, I place my faith in Jesus. I want to know Jesus. They would let somebody know. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for the truth that it is. Thank you for how powerful it is. Thank you for what you've done in my life over the past two and a half months as we've been in it, Lord. And I pray. Pray for those who maybe haven't been here the whole time. Maybe there's some people just started coming this week or the last couple of weeks. Lord, would they get on the podcast and listen to it and study the book of James and open it up and let you mess with them and teach them and mold them and make them into a lifelong, passionate, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Would you mess this world up for the glory of Jesus through what you do through us as a result of our lives being contagious? I love you tonight. I thank you for what you're doing. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.